Tom Kane talks smack. Brad analyzes the bomber run with his military eye. Road talks Trekkies at the Phantom Menace premiere in Los Angeles. And 20 years of episode one. Yeah, that's right, we're old. You've stumbled upon episode two of the Scarif Scuttlebug. Scarif Control, this is TK226. Come in, Scarif Control. Uh, you think what I'm thinking? Yeah, it looks like they're talking Star Wars again. General Veers, prepare your men. How's it going, Star Wars fans? Grab your sunscreen and your blasters. You've tuned into the Scarif Podcast. This is the Scarif Scuttlebutt. Hey, Scarif Troopers, welcome to Patrol, and thanks for joining us on the Scarif Podcast. And I am so glad you guys are back. We are happy uh, as punch at all the wonderful feedback we received on that premiere episode. Our uh, podcast friends, uh, folks like the Salty Nerd, and by the way, he's working on a very special new series. Go follow him. Go check him out. We also got a little boost from 100% Star Wars. Go check them out and all our friends like Palpatine Star Wars page, Shannon Smith. Keep those videos coming, Shannon, and thank you very much for the questions. We're going to ch- touch a little bit about uh, what you ha- uh, asked on the podcast and see what we're uh, all talking about. We also have a uh, l- an email from Carly Gottfried Bridger. Sorry if I butchered the name, but Carly will get to your comments uh, a little later on. We've got uh, folks like Lady Jedi Scientist and Coruscant Radio Underground. Also, our friend Victor at Fandaz. If you remember last episode, we talked to him at Star Wars Celebration. And a plethora, let me say, a plethora of accounts with the name Vader in them. And the list goes on. So we've been really lucky to have all you guys and gals support the podcast Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, who's on the other side there? We got Brad on the other end of the mic. Brad, how are things going? Man, I tell you what, the weather here in Charleston is beautiful. Uh, It feels like Scarif out there, sunny, 80 degrees. I'm loving it. How's your weather? Um, I would say it's a little bit like on the Hoth end. We uh, got an unexpected winter a snowstorm uh, up in the upper regions of uh, Wisconsin and Illinois. Uh, they say about six inches, which is crazy, crazy, crazy snow. And uh, yeah, we can't wait to uh, get all this melted later on in the week. I hope we can enjoy some scarif type weather as well. And didn't you say it was 75 degrees yesterday? It was 75 degrees yesterday. Yes, it was. It was up there. It was really nice, and you can feel, you can feel that hot air. Blowing in the wind is, is, you know, is really, really bizarre. But hey, they say in Chicago, we uh, at any one day we get a uh, a nice mix of all the seasons in one day. So uh, kudos to that. Echo Station 3TA. We have spotted Imperial Walker. Imperial Walker on the Brad, before we get into this uh, Talking Jar Jar Binks episode one, we were mm-hmm. waffling back and forth about wanting to say something about this for a while. And uh, we also want to let our podcast friends know that we're uh, not afraid to speak our mind. We're not sitting up here in Vader's Castle, uh, loving everything Star Wars blindly, accepting what's being uh, fed to us. But that being said, let's talk about the Mon Calamari in the room, shall we, Brad? It's a trap! Yes, let's. So, I believe it's called yeah. Akbargate. At Akbargate, right. The hubbub at Star Wars Celebration, and uh, I was there. It was a little awkward. So voice actor Tom Kane, well-known for his voice chops on Clone Wars, 
giving a voice to, and I'll, I'll say it, fan favorite Admiral Akbar. As uh, am I correct, fan favorite? You you are correct on the, it being a fan favorite. I'm going to play devil's advocate on that point here in a, sure. in a few minutes, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll call him a fan favorite. Yeah, and you know I've seen some people question that in a very kind of snarky way. Let's listen to what he had to say on the Star Wars show stage at Star Wars Celebration, and weigh in on his comments. We had the uh, the co-host, what's his name, Max Schofield or Scoville, was on stage with him at the Star Wars show stage. Let's uh, take a listen and see what he had to say. The forest motive end all of it. It's a trap. You know, all power to the forward shield. And I was not really thrilled about how they blew him out the side of the ship. I'm like, I'm like, I, who's this Holdo woman? Nobody knows this. She, there's no, no one's invested in that. Who is she? Why is she saving the fleet? If anyone's right, going right. to save the fleet, it'd be out. Oh, no. All right, let's, let's so. <laughs> let's, let's just, real quick, let's talk about So, yeah, a little <laughs> awkward. So I'm when, sorry, I got, I've, I've heard that probably about 20 times now. And I laugh every single time. Yeah, I, I hear that clip. Yeah, so I think it's hilarious. It, it is hilarious. So we hear the host Max Scoville, podcaster and host on a few geek platforms, try and struggle by stammering and you know kind of finally changing the subject. Uh, the interview went on, but the uh, I would say the damage is done. So let me let me uh, read a few tweets from the Scoville's timeline uh, on his Twitter account. There were a lot of comments, and I think there was one follower who, uh, whose name is ExoThinker, and I think he probably, I can read this quote, and it'll probably sum up uh, what the rest of the quotes were, and he says the following. The truth may not be pretty, but it's still true. Tom Kane is a hero. So there were a lot of comments like this defending Tom Kane and expressing similar feelings towards that decision to jettison Akbar out the window unceremoniously. And let me add that uh, Scoville blocked many accounts on that day. Oh, wow. And Scoville's response was basically, we were there to celebrate Star Wars and didn't want to dwell on the negative. And to me, this is interesting because, as I mentioned in our last broadcast, I expected to see a lot more of these uh, fandom menace types doing God knows what. But uh, it was a very peace. It was very peaceful, and uh, as Scoville claims, uh, uh, very you know celebratory. Uh, all things Star Wars. Uh, but what uh, what was your first impression on Kane's comments here, Brad? So he spoke for what about fifteen to thirty seconds, and you know what he put in that amount of time. You know we have to dissect his statement of all of all the things that he covered in that statement. Um, you know. Uh, how Akbar died, uh, how we should think about Admiral Haldo, and just those scenes in general, that, you know, those opening scenes mm-hmm. uh, with the bombers and with Tally, Paige, uh, that whole <clears throat> scene where they're getting chased. Sure. Um, and uh, attacking the uh, Dreadnought. Um, there was a response that we got uh, on Twitter from Andre, uh, very similar to the one that you just read. Um, he said, uh, Andre said, we are all Tom Kane. This is an instant legendary status. And if only more Disney employees were this bold, I have no doubt we'd be hearing more of this same sentiment. And the host had no idea what to do other than to cut him off. I kind of feel sorry for the host. I, I, didn't, I didn't like the fact that he cut him off, but I, I can imagine that he probably had producers yelling in his ear sure. uh, to, end, to end that. But, 
you know, Jeremy says on Twitter, even Hans Tauntaun had a better death. Oh my God. So you know, I think the easiest thing here is, uh, let's tackle Admiral Akbar's death first. Sure. Uh, you know, you mentioned that he's a fan favorite, and I'm going to start by playing devil's advocate in that, although he is a fan favorite, in reality, he only had probably 10 minutes of screen time, less than 10 minutes of screen time. In the uh, in Return of the Jedi and in, in the films? From Return of the Jedi, yeah, from 6, 7, and 8. I bet you his total screen time, I didn't, I didn't math it out, but I would think it's probably less than 10 minutes total if you added them all together. Uh, so that being said, in the films... He's not necessarily a major character for before anybody starts hating on me on Twitter. No, I, uh, I get that. I, I get that. You know, I, I love Akbar, but uh, you know, as far as being on screen, he doesn't have that much screen time. So there was a, another comment about Akbar uh, from uh, Ricky Howell. Uh, he's one of our followers. Uh, he's on Twitter uh, as Wookie Howell. Okay, which I, it's pretty awesome. I think we all would have appreciated more emphasis on this character's death. But my take is that Akbar was an admiral in a resistance, and he died in battle. Not every death is glorious or honorable, which drives home the fact that this is a war. This is war. And he references the Clone Wars in Order, Order 66, for more examples. Sure. So you can't, you can't argue with that. From a writer's perspective, I think we can agree that a death should have some meaning sure. to it. You shouldn't kill somebody just for the sake of killing them. Well, how else how, how much... else is he going to subvert our expectations? <laughs> and you know, okay, so I I kind of like said that tongue in cheek. And for the record, I do not agree with many decisions that were made by director Ryan Johnson in the Last Jedi. I think those decisions kind of tarnished and French the the franchise and damaged the fan base to, uh, for the most part. But I also want to add that I really, really wanted to love the Last Jedi after. You know, really liking uh, uh, the Force Awakens, and uh, um, but by no means, you know, do I feel ill will towards any of the actors that were in the film. Uh, I just it it was just a set of decisions, creative decisions that just didn't fly with me. Wanted to kind of disclaim that uh, that little uh, snarky comment. But he's right when he said, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, forward shields, you know, uh, they, they could have easily, from a military perspective, and I'm going to delve into the military side of this uh, here in a minute, but, you know, it none of that scene makes sense from from a military perspective or from a Star Wars perspective. Sure, yeah, yeah. They, they, they left the, the front side of the ship wide open, and he just flew out, which, of course, also leads into the uh, the, the Superman Leia scene, but I don't know if we want to get into that right now. That's outside the scope. That's a whole other podcast. But <laughs> absolutely, but uh, that you know that does get us into Haldo. Did you read uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan by Claudia Gray? I did, I did, and obviously not a lot of people read that book. Um, I think you know we might be kind of stepping into the realm of why it's slightly dangerous to have this auxiliary material introduced into canon because then you got. The the uh, I guess what the the um, the general public uh, not really knowing what's going on um, and that kind of that in and itself kind of ostracizes and separates like the the uber fans like people that read everything and watch the cartoons and know exactly what's going on um, and people left kind of in the dark confused as to wait a minute I thought Darth Maul was dead. And I think that's a little bit of a dangerous, you know, precedent to set. But I did. Well, 
Yes and no. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, but if you're going to put that material out there, then these, and this is what Disney was going for in the first place, was to have all of their media, no matter what platform it was, to all tie in together. After reading Leia, Princess of Alderaan, uh, and I'm sure we have a lot of listeners that, that read it as well, mm-hmm. I was really looking forward to Admiral Haldo's character. Oh, same here. You know, if you remember in that book, she was a she was a free spirit, you know? Yes. Uh, I'd say, you know, borderline hippie. She she reminded me of Luna Lovegood in the uh, Harry Potter series. Mm-hmm. I think is how she acted. Um, and so I was really looking forward to that character. And then what we got in The Last Jedi was completely different. Obviously, many, many years had passed sure. between uh, when Leia was supposed to take place, which was before Episode Four, and then The Last Jedi. However, it doesn't look like there's any trace of that character whatsoever. So as far as what he's saying about Haldo, you know, for a good writer, you want to get your viewers or readers invested in your characters. There's a difference between saying and showing. And, you know, the good writers, you know, bad writers say stuff and the good writers show stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in this, I think in The Last Jedi, we were told to like and to trust Admiral Haldo. Right. But we weren't we weren't shown that at all. There was nothing there to back it up. We had Poe, who was, you know, and I think she was there just as a juxtaposition to Poe Dameron. Right. Uh, but, you know, we have seen his experience from episode uh, seven and then the comic books and stuff like that afterwards. We had nothing for Admiral Haldo. We were just told to trust her. So I can see where he was coming from as, as far as Admiral Haldo goes. Yeah, and I think, um, again, I agree with you. And, the, and, and obviously Laura Dern is a, a fantastic actor. And I wanted, fantastic. you know, I, I was really looking forward to her take on the, on the character. Um, but yeah, Haldo in the film was a little, uh, I would say, a lot watered down from what she was in the book. You know, not to get into good writer, bad writer, but I think a better situation would have been to maybe um, talk about her beforehand or, I don't know, give her somehow give her a little history. Um, But you're right. She showed up and then we were expected to trust her and like her. And again, you know, I'd like to dive into the military situation of that decision as well, since you have a lot of experience there. Like I said, it's it's kind of a puzzling thing to have been uh, to to see that because you know in retrospect, yeah, none of that made sense. No, and I, I think one of my issues, personal issues, with the sequel trilogy is I'm having a hard time getting myself emotionally attached to any of the new characters that were yeah, introduced. Same here. Perhaps it's just because we've had the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy around for so long that we have more emotional investment in them. But I just can't latch on to any of the characters. Well, I can't say any of the characters. I really do like the character of Ray. Sure. Um, and well, I don't know. It might stop there for me. You know, the other thing too that that really helps with um, with these characters is uh, like the the gravitas that uh, that the actors brought to the characters. I mean, a lot of people cannot picture. Indiana Jones with anyone other than Harrison Ford. Han Solo, anyone other than Harrison Ford is not Han Solo. And that's another, I think that's one of the other reasons that uh, that Solo kind of failed at the box office for, for, for that reason. And, right. you know, the uh, I think the 
the quality of actors that uh, George Lucas hired to to bring us this story in the first place uh, are far different than the. I don't want to get into like you know these guys are better than those guys. I don't think it's about that. I think it's also about how serious they take the source material, and that's one of the biggest problems I had with the Last Jedi. It just seemed like like Disney was trying to Marvelize. Uh, Star Wars at this point and and I understand you know it works for the Marvel superheroes but you know I just came back from seeing um, Endgame for the second time and yeah it's got some jokes and it's funny and it's got you know some kind of like you know SNL humor but when you get when you strip that away it really really takes the source material ultra serious if if any superhero uh, film deserves an Oscar it would be this one because the actors really really hit hit a home run with this oh absolutely and um you know we will be the last people to spoil anything but i will just say that there is a discussion that uh happy who is played by john favreau um has with another character near the end of the movie and i was almost in tears oh yeah and 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 happy is a minor character in the whole mcu but you can see that that emotional investment that they had there Um, yeah so two sides of that coin i don't have that with the last jedi um but you know i'm happy that john favreau again we talked about last week happy that uh pun intended that john favreau is in charge of the mandalorian i think that's in good hands sure but also i think jj abrams has more of a grasp of that source material that you talked about than what ryan johnson did yeah so i'd have to I agree very much optimistic about episode nine i think it's in good hands yeah yeah, and I, you know, I so, really hope I really hope that JJ takes some of the uh, story elements that he introduced in the Force Awakens and kind of brings them to a close. Did we have an email from uh, someone talking about Akbar's death and how she felt about it? Yeah, uh, we had quite a lengthy email from Carly. I think before I get to Carly's email, uh, I'm gonna, I want to talk about the military sure. side of that scene. Sure, sure. Um, <clears throat> how many times did you see the Last Jedi in theaters? Two times. It's very strange. I saw Solo, I think, three times in the theaters, and I really liked Solo. I think Solo was a great movie. I saw The Last Jedi, it was either seven or eight times now, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But it was it was odd because it was because I couldn't figure out whether I liked it or not. Oh. So I kept going back to figure like am I missing something? What like what is wrong with this? Um and one of the things that struck me was how Absurd it was this scene in particular from a military perspective. Now, as a backstory, some people will say um, the bombers were based off World War II material. Um, they, you know, they have a love of using um, World War II type themes. Uh, you know, the bombers, like the ones that uh, were over Germany. Yeah. Um, people will go back and talk about how George Lucas used old um, World War II. Uh, dogfights to choreograph his Millennium Falcon scenes, and while all that's true, he did it in a way that made sense. This one made absolutely no sense. First, you have a uh, you have Poe's X-wing taking on a dreadnought by itself. Doesn't make much sense. However, you know he is the hero, or at least he was at that point. So I'll buy that. But then you have these bombers going at about one mile an hour. Right through space with now the entire TIE fighter fleet flying after them. What was the strategy? Now, I think the bomber, I think that design was cool. I actually like the bombers. Mm-hmm. 
but how they were employed made absolutely no sense whatsoever. There was a, a whole squadron of them. They were going so slow that all they were was, was targets. Right. And then if you're going to fly into something like that, you have to have an exit strategy. What was the exit strategy for these bombers? Now, I, I, it'll be my turn now to be devil's advocate. You know, the, uh, the resistance was in shambles, and I guess maybe they, they were uh, u- utilizing ships and hardware. The, the only thing that they had in those bombers were, were it. And, you know, I, I've seen people say, well, uh, why didn't they use uh, Y-wings? Why didn't they, you know, why did they use this? Why did they? I guess my response would, would be, well, they didn't have that. Uh, you know, they had to leave the planet because they were getting invaded, and they took what they could, and they took the bombers. I don't know. Sure, I'll buy that. And some of that is explained in those other media that we talked about, right. the comics as well as some of the books. But, uh, again, I think if you go to a movie, the movie should fully encapsulate the story. I you totally agree. Need, totally agree. You know, that that is supplemental material, not, right. you know, background information. Let's not forget that the, you know, the Rebel Alliance was in the same situation. They had to work with whatever they had, mm-hmm. but their tactics their tactics were different. They had the, you know, if you're outnumbered and outgunned, you go for a hit and run tactics. You don't take on the enemy, you know, straight on like that. It was, it was a suicide mission to begin with. Uh, so I think the the whole thing is flawed, and you know that's why I couldn't take the Last Jedi uh, too seriously, as far as that goes. But let's get to Carly's email she wrote us again a very lengthy email we appreciate that we've got some twitter questions uh so carly says firstly it is perhaps worth noting that tom didn't really finish he might have had something to add to what may have been his initial thoughts he may well have elaborated on the choices made by ryan unlikely but possible i think that's true as something of a writer you do try to avoid predictability it is not a choice i would have made for akbar with the plot line he was part of. I probably would have gone with him being the one to sacrifice himself. Ryan might have been going for shock value, and like in any other Star Wars deaths, we don't have time to grieve. That is a very true point. Yeah. Uh, that's something that always aggravated me about Episode Four because Obi-Wan died, and uh, he had just met him like three hours before, um, and you know, but also all of Alderaan died, and that was four billion people. And nobody even asked Leia if she was doing all right. <laughs> yeah. After an entire plan. This is me talking, by the way. This is sure. not Carly. This is me. This is me talking. Yeah. I'll get back to Carly now. Side note. Okay. There are, of course, many valid reasons for his choice. For me, Akbar's death felt unceremonious. Unnecessarily so. But would I have won- wandered into the areas of predictability and fan service as a writer? I honestly don't know. Difficult line to tread. Now, getting back to Tom's interview based on the short clip, this comes down to should he lie in an interview? Considering how truly toxic, by the way, I, I hate that word, how truly toxic things got, sorry, Carla, this is not about you, it's just that word, how truly toxic things got and still are, it may have been more responsible to not say anything. And why should he not share his genuine feelings? And uh, I think probably, we don't have time in this episode, but we'll get back to uh, Mark Hamill and his very, very short tweet, probably on a future episode. Sure. Uh, that's kind of related to this point here. Carly says, in truth, I felt the same as him. I'd say he has reignited slash fueled the arguments and toxicity, but I don't think that's going away anyway. And when someone feels the same as I do, can I not say as much? Can I not say I did not like that choice either? Should I feel bad that I didn't like it? Should I feel, uh, should people be quiet because of the, uh, I'll say the shitstorm of idiots that exist out there? 
And you and I both agree, and we said this before we started this podcast, we were not going to shy away from that. And that's why we're doing this segment here. Right. Uh, it's time that people, you know, and, and I, you know, we, we tweeted this out, you know, we need to stop calling each other names just because we have different opinions. Uh, opinions. You yeah. know, somebody is not automatically toxic because they disagree with you. That's just their opinion. Now, if their behavior is that way, then that's that another right. That's another story. Somebody's not an SJW just because they have, uh, you know, progressive social thoughts. So, you know, if we could just get past all of this high school, maybe middle school name calling, maybe we could actually have some genuine discussions, you know, and really start to interact with people on a deeper level. Yeah, you you know you heard, you hate the word toxic, and I hate the term SJW. Um, you know, social justice warrior. I mean, you know, they use that as a derogatory term. Uh, yep. And uh, but you know, there's nothing wrong with a little you know social justice. And I, you know, it's just it's just a weird uh, it's a weird thing. Like you said, it's it's middle middle school stuff. Yeah, we want to. Yeah, we'll uh, stay on target on this one. You know, this the fandom is probably an episode in itself yeah so we want to you know stick with what tom kane was saying but uh so in short do you agree with tom kane and what he said yes i agree in what he said but i also kind of see everyone's point that might um say that maybe it wasn't the time you know for it um, I didn't see the beginning of that interview, so it's not like anyone asked him what his opinion was about the death of Akbar. So he kind of like you know threw it upon himself to to start that dialogue. You know, again being devil's advocate, I think maybe I want to dare say maybe you know it really wasn't the time to 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 kind of stir that pot. But what Tom, uh, what uh, Carly, excuse me, said, you know, her point stands. And that don't be afraid to speak your mind. We want to let our listeners and our Twitter followers know that uh, even as it comes to our podcast, if you like our podcast, please let us know. If you hate what we're saying right now, let us know as well. Um, we, we want that open dialogue, and that's what we need to get back to. And what's sad is uh, I wonder all the time, and I speak from personal experience, uh, I've gotten to the point I don't care anymore. You know, I'm, I'm a military guy. I'll, I'll say whatever I want to say. Uh, but I wonder on a daily basis, how many people don't tweet what they want to tweet or, you know, whatever platform they're using because they're worried about being dogpiled, you know, like they don't even realize that what they're tweeting is going to offend, you know, that's going to offend somebody. Yeah. I wonder how many people don't tweet what they want to tweet just because they're worried about that kind of crap. I think it's more than you think. Uh, I, I, I think it's <laughs> a very high percentage and that's sad. And, you know, we have the greatest tool ever invented for communication in the internet and we are completely misusing it. Yeah, so totally. Let's use it to exchange ideas, exchange thoughts. And uh, if you disagree, uh, then just say so. And, you know, to each his own. Um, but uh, I think before we get into the Phantom Menace, there is a listener uh, email that I wanted to share. This is from Matt. Uh, he's the one that you interviewed uh, for the first show. Send us an email. Just listen to the podcast in its entirety. Great editing, solid hosting, and great interview questions to get the interviewees really involved. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be on your premiere show. I already subbed and looking forward to more great content. May the force be with you. May the force be with you, Matt. Uh, we appreciate uh, you coming on the show with us. 
Uh, we'd love to hear your reaction to our shows as well as any random opinions you may have about the Star Wars saga. As always, you can email us at scareofscuttlebutt at gmail.com. Don't get technical with me. For the, the last couple of uh, days, we've had been checking our email and checking the uh, Apple iTunes site, and we are finally on iTunes. It's fantastic. You guys should go check out iTunes and look for Scarif Podcast. Uh, it is uh, is on there. Go ahead and sub and give us a review. Uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say, and uh, reviews really help us out to make the shows better and uh, tailor our message to our listeners, and uh, we love it. And I'm going to add on to that. I said on Twitter that we would do another giveaway if we hit 200 followers by the time we did this show. Uh, We didn't quite hit that mark, uh, but we did hit, I think, 198. But anyway, you guys are freaking awesome. And as Rose said, man, we love all the interaction that we've had with you guys, whether it be on YouTube uh, or on Twitter, uh, the emails that we've gotten. So we're going to do this giveaway anyway. So if you just do what Rose said, uh, go into iTunes, give us a rating and a review, send us a screenshot. After you do that, you can email it to us or send us a direct message on Twitter. And we'll announce the winner on our next episode. But what we're going to give away, I happened to be at the comic shop and uh, he was doing a sale on some uh, graphic novels and stuff. Uh, one of my favorite authors is Kevin Scott. If you're a comic book fan, you know that... Uh, Kevin Scott does the Star Wars Adventures comics, and he's uh, also got that new uh, audio um, drama that's coming up later this year, which looks exciting. Over the last few months, he's been doing uh, Tales from Vader's Castle. It was a five-part series. Uh, I picked up a sealed five set. Yeah, this set includes all five issues of the hit series and features the original covers by award-winning artist Francesco I mispronounced that. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Francesco Francovia, plus a bonus sketch variant of number one, perfect for conventions or in-store signings. Nice. And, yeah, that's five comics of the the entire series. And that was, if you haven't read it, that's a really fun series. Just do what we said, uh, what Roe put out there. Uh, Go on iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review, send us a screenshot, and you'll automatically be entered into that giveaway. We'll take care of shipping and all that, too. Don't worry about that. And we will announce the winner on our next episode. That is awesome. I love me some comic books. Um, the, I think the last series that I really, really enjoyed was the uh, Darth Vader comic book, the one that uh, Charles Soule uh, wrote. Charles Soule. Yeah, that yeah was I, thought, I thought you were going to say a, a Dark Horse series or something. Charles Soule is amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, one last thing to say. Yes, uh, we were there to celebrate Star Wars. But, yes, kind of as a, as a parent who tries to instill good and kindness in their kids, I, you know, I kind of look at Star Wars as family. And if you can't tell your drunk Uncle Floyd to knock it off with his silliness and put some <laughs> pants on when he mows the lawn, then he'll never grow and become better. So, But speaking of, uh, speaking of moving on... We are amazed that uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, is enjoying its 20th anniversary. 20 years. We're that old, Brad. 
I believe that means that we are just that old. Oh my God, <laughs> it's just it's it's phenomenal. And obviously, over at Star Wars Celebration, they had a an Episode One panel, uh, which uh, reminded everybody how uh, old they were. Uh, released in uh, what 1999, 16 years after the release of Return of the Jedi, George Lucas returns to the Star Wars galaxy to tell the story of little Anakin Skywalker and his fall from grace. So the name the Scarif Scuttlebutt is kind of hard for me to say. Hey, it's Dan. Thank you for having me uh, on your podcast. This is awesome. Uh, so the question was, what was it like before The Phantom Menace came out in 1999? What was the excitement like? First off, the excitement for the movie actually started literally like seven years before it came out. When they made the announcement, Lucas made the announcement that they were going to continue on with the Star Wars movies, starting with episode one. And I was on vacation with a friend's family when we heard this news. And we were probably... 10 years old. I was about 17 when the movie actually came out. So we waited for years, years to actually get the first trailer for The Phantom Menace. When the trailer came out, it was kind of the last time a trailer came out that was as big as this was. I mean, we get the new Star Wars trailers now. You get the trailer for Avengers Endgame. But the Phantom Menace trailer was so big, people were like going to the theaters just to watch the trailer and paying for the full movie and leaving. You've heard these stories. But it was a special time. We waited in line just to buy the movie tickets overnight. We saw the movie at Movies 10 in Joliet. About eight of us waited overnight in a van, got tickets the next day. And when this movie came out, we didn't get tickets just for our friends or whatever. We were getting tickets for teachers from high school, the teachers' families we were picking up tickets for. It was just an incredible experience. Waiting in the parking lot overnight. We had our lightsabers out, playing football all day the next day until tickets went on sale at like 1 or 2 in the afternoon they went on sale but it was a long day nothing will ever beat the hype for the Phantom Menace I mean seriously there's no Star Wars comparison I don't think we're ever gonna have that was as exciting as when this movie came out I know a lot of people after the fact weren't crazy about it in the theaters but I loved it in the theaters the Phantom Menace is actually my favorite prequel movie it might not be the best but it really means a lot to me and I hope it means a lot to you as well. Thanks for letting me hang out with you here on the Scarab Scuttlebutt. Later. What were you doing in the meantime as a Star Wars fan between Return of the Jedi? Yes. How did you get your fix? Or did you? There was not a lot. I mean, <clears throat> after, you know, after, you know, I was, I'm a collector, so I, I have uh, quite a collection of Star Wars uh, paraphernalia. Um, there was uh, a period there where there was not a lot of Star Wars uh, material up until, you know, uh, Timothy Zahn and his books, uh, which uh, kind of, uh, you know, marked a, uh, a rise in, in interest uh, in Star Wars again, which uh, was, uh, you know, those are fantastic stories. I did kind of uh, dust off some Star Wars radio dramas uh, that were Ooh. produced. And uh, let me tell you, uh, if you are really into Star Wars and you have not gotten a hold of those Star Wars radio dramas, they are phenomenal. The first one in particular, let's just say, you know, Star Wars A New Hope was like two hours long. The radio drama fleshes out a whole bunch of storylines and characters, extends scenes, and it's about like, I don't know, like 18 hours long. 
uh, between, you know, I think like 16 like cassette tapes or CDs. It is really fantastic. And it's, uh, it's a drama, so it's not like one person reading it like an audiobook. It's a full-fledged, uh, dr- you know, radio drama production with sound effects and, and voice actors. Some of, the, some of the voice actors from the saga came back. Um, it's just a really, really great, great way to re-enjoy the, the story of Star Wars. I've listened to bits and pieces, not the entire thing. It wasn't like Anthony Daniels. Didn't he come back and yeah. help on that too? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you look for, you know, when you look at uh, Wikipedia or, you know, a lot of the stuff they reference is from that audio drama uh, that, uh, you know, that you're describing. There's a lot of background information, but that was entertaining. Uh, the Timothy Zahn books. Did you play any of the video games? Um, X-Wing, TIE Fighter. No, no. I, I got a buddy that said that they were really, really, really fantastic. I I didn't because I wasn't really into video games, especially video games that you had to play and load on your uh, on your PC. Right. I was more of a joystick kind of guy. So now it's May of 1999. It's been 16 years since we had a Star Wars film. Well, unless you exclude the amazing Ewoks movies from the 1980s. Which I don't. I love those. Yes, and we love Ewoks here. So I I hear that you have an exciting story about the opening night. Yes, uh, 1999. So uh, let's uh, talk by numbers. Box office, $1.027 billion. uh, Budget of $115 million that uh, George Lucas kind of wrote a check for, paid for on his own. You heard Dan talk about Phantom Menace memories. We've got Imperial Entanglement also talking about his memory upon viewing Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Let's take a listen. This is Imperial Entanglements, and we'll be looking at the 20-year anniversary of The Phantom Menace. Looking back 20 years to Star Wars The Phantom Menace, it's easy to remember all the backlash it's gotten, whether it's the now-dated CGI, or the one character in particular that annoyed everyone in the audience except for the 10-year-old boy who had seen the movie for the eighth time. And that little kid was me. As any kid who grew up with Star Wars, I was obsessed. I loved every minute of the movie in 1999, from Qui-Gon Jinn teaching a young Obi-Wan Kenobi the ways of the Force, to a young Anakin Skywalker racing his pod racer to win the Boonti Eve Classic, and his freedom to become a Jedi. But as I aged, The Phantom Menace fell in the ranks of favorite Star Wars movies, and the more mature content of the original trilogy took its rightful place, as The Empire Strikes Back to this day still holds the number one spot. But that's not to say that I can't enjoy a nostalgic visit and remember all the good things The Phantom Menace gave us, like a look at the masterful manipulation of Darth Sidious masquerading on Coruscant as the kind-hearted senator from Naboo, or the sight of a true Jedi Master versus a Sith warrior in one-on-one battle, the best lightsaber duel in the saga. If there is one thing Star Wars does right, it's villains. And unlike the original trilogy, The Phantom Menace allowed George Lucas to truly showcase his imagination and locations. Like the regal Naboo in the capital city of Theed, with its beautiful waterfalls overlooking a lush grassland and the depths of its oceans where the Gungans reside. Or the seat of power in the galaxy, the city planet of Coruscant, and its endless skyscrapers, where we get a first look at the Jedi Temple. 
And you can't get nostalgic about episode one without talking about the music and sound design. Whether it's John Williams pulling no punches with what is arguably his best work on Duel of the Fates, the truly epic soundtrack that sets the tone for the final battle, or the unmistakable sound of a Star Wars ship blasting through space, and the sound of Zabolda's pod racer breathing down Anakin's neck in the last stretch of Tatooine's favorite pastime. So criticize it if you want, and I will, and continue to do so, but it cannot be denied that The Phantom Menace has given us some of the best things in the Star Wars saga. And that's it for Imperial Entanglements. Yeah, uh, The Phantom Menace story deals with taxation of trade routes, embargoes, and negotiated political intrigue, and there were some cool lightsaber battles and mixed in there for fun. Being a, a huge Star Wars fan and thinking at 1983 that that was it, no more Star Wars, uh, George Lucas is done, I was super excited uh, to have heard the announcement of uh, the fact that George Lucas was returning to that galaxy far, far away. Uh, a buddy of mine head to Los Angeles and wait uh, in line um, uh, three days before uh, the uh, tickets were sold uh, outside at, uh, at the time it was called Grauman's Chinese Theater um, so we waited two nights in a long line around the corner uh, at Mann's Chinese Theater on uh, I think it's Hollywood Boulevard and uh, it was it was quite a fantastic experience it's like one of the things that I'll never forget we had fans from all over the world we had media from all over the world that were you know, giving interviews and sharing stories. It was just, it was phenomenal. I, I got there and people were, uh, and I tweeted, I, I tweeted a picture. There are people in full, you know, Stormtrooper outfits. Darth Vader's were walking down Vine Street, Hollywood and Bull, you know. It was, it was like really, really great. And that's actually my first experience with like full up uh, cosplay Star Wars. Uh, before that, that, that was only something out of a dream for me. So that first time you saw it, what, what were your thoughts? Well, let's just say... We now come back <laughs> I wasn't too uh, crazy about the film initially. I remember there are some similar feelings that I had uh, in Episode One that I had in The Last Jedi. I left the theater uh, kind of questioning, you know, is this really how I remember a Star Wars film to be? It didn't jive for me. There were a couple of things. Obviously, Jar Jar Binks was a little too silly for me. Uh, there was a uh, a fart joke in a Star Wars, which I didn't really kind of like. It kind of threw me for a loop. There was an animal that kind of was there, and Jar Jar bent over to pick up a tool that had fallen, and uh, and the animal turned around and, and just gassed him, farted. Do you remember that? Well, first of all, it was an EOP, all right? So let's let's call the animal what it was. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and he also stepped in, in Poodoo in this movie. He did that too. But I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate on that one. I'm going to say this, uh, and this is after many years of experience. I'm going to call episode one a gateway drug into Star Wars <laughs> because my five-year-old son absolutely cracks up every time Jar Jar does something like that. 
sure. either gets fart, you know, gets farted on or steps in, in crap. Uh, he he absolutely loves it. And uh, you know, George Lucas later on, and, and don't get me wrong, I had the exact same feelings as you did. But later on, George Lucas said he intended for the movie to be that way because it was that calm before the storm. Sure. Because uh, two was more serious, and of course three got very dark. So he wanted to have one movie in the trilogy that was a little bit more lighthearted. But I think he, like you said, may have taken that a bit to the extreme. You know, I, I kind of, again, tongue-in-cheek said that the story dealt with taxation of trade routes and, and negotiating political intrigue and all that stuff. And it does. Um, it doesn't sound very cool, but, you know, having, uh, I guess now being an adult, um, it's really, to me, it's really, really fascinating how George kind of slipped all of that, uh, all, all of those politics into into this story. Um, I have a, a newfound appreciation for uh, Phantom Menace, and, uh, and it's because of, of the storyline, because of how... Uh, we see Palpatine's rise uh, through the ranks and how he manipulated and, and how uh, how all that uh, politics kind of fits into to the overall story. Um, uh, what do you think of all that in, in the story? Yeah, so, I mean, we all know, again, like you said, we mentioned it last week with, uh, you know, the rise of fascism and how that happens. But George Lucas, not only is he, you know, a fantastic student of philosophy, as we talked about with Joseph Campbell, but also of history and those taxation of trade routes, you know, you really have to dig deep into, you know, like World War II and how did Pearl Harbor happen? How did we get to that? You know, what what took place before Pearl Harbor? Why did Japan want to attack us at Pearl Harbor? And it was things like embargoes that had been placed on them. And, uh, you know, extra tariffs and that sort of thing. So these things that seem boring in that, uh, you know, opening scroll, you know, th those are real life things that happen. And those are oftentimes precursors to war. Um, now, my viewing of episode one, um, you know, it's been enhanced over the years. You know, we mentioned the Darth Plagueis book. I still consider the Darth Plagueis book canon. Um, no matter what anybody else says, that has made it a lot cooler. And just finished the Master and Apprentice book by Claudia Gray. I'm jealous. Uh, so, yeah, you get, I uh, know you already got your hands on it for anybody else out there. Please get your hands on that book. So many of the interactions between Obi Wan and Qui Gon make so much more sense. And even going into episode two uh, with Count Dooku and Obi Wan and Obi Wan and Anakin. Many of those conversations make much more sense after reading Master and Apprentice. It doesn't seem like exciting material, but there's a lot of real-life parallels to it. I love those aspects of it because, uh, you know, it, it, I guess it can't be, you know, lightsabers and space battles all the time. There's got to be some sort of motivation. And in a, kind of a society in a galaxy like that, it's got to be, you know, kind of bigger than life. Um, and it gives a good background to what uh, the galaxy is going through and and a little bit of uh, introspective uh, material for, you know, how a society like that can get uh, hoodwinked, I guess, if you, uh, you know, understand the, the meaning there. And one of the greatest threads that connects all the movies from episode one all the way up to episode eight is that presence of, uh, you know, those 
corporations like the Trade Federation. Uh, Master and Apprentice mentions the Zerka Corporation. Uh, Star Wars fans should be familiar with them. But then you have things like the banking clan. Right. Uh, you know, we'll call it the military industrial complex. It didn't matter who was fighting, whether it was the, you know, the Trade Federation fighting Naboo or the Clone Wars or the Galactic Civil War or the Resistance versus the First Order. Didn't matter who was fighting, who the players were, these same guys were making money the entire time. They did whatever they could to help precipitate these wars. And I think that's a pretty cool theme that underlies all the movies. Yeah, and uh, you just mentioned something. I mean, they touched a little bit about that in The Last Jedi uh, when they went to Canto Bight and they realized that uh, the same people that were you know, providing um, <clears throat> military gear to the First Order were also providing it to the Resistance. You know, it kind of encompasses that uh, that concept. What do you What do you think about that? Well, I mean, there's again, there's a lot of truth to it. Uh, you look at uh, World War II. Uh, there were certain corporations that were selling arms to both sides: the American military as well as to the Germans, uh, and to the Russians, and to the Japanese. Same thing happened in Vietnam. So there is a lot of historical precedent to what they're saying there. One of the coolest things about uh, episode one was the score. Uh, we had a Twitter comment from our our bestie on Twitter, Ollie. Hey, uh, you're, you're a good Ollie. friend. <laughs> and uh, he mentions uh, this was a halfway serious remark uh, from Ollie. I always thought the Phantom Menace had an amazing soundtrack. Uh, what did you think of John Williams' score? John Williams is a genius, um, and it's too bad he did announce that uh, Episode Nine is going to be his last Star Wars film, which uh, kind of bums me out. But yeah, no, he's right. Uh, episode One had a great soundtrack. I think the best title from that soundtrack, I, I, I want to say, is Duel of the Fates and uh, uh, the battle between uh, at the end with Darth Maul is just a, a monumental, monumental track. Have you ever seen those things where they, you know, they show the unedited without the music? It is a completely different movie. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, better. yeah. No, I, I, I get it. You had mentioned that, uh, you know, last episode, you know, guys like me who do editing for a living, you know, with, you know, half of half of the life kind of comes from, from what editors add to to a project, from, you know, extending a shot. Uh, to adding sound effects or how the music kind of helps you feel uh, about a certain s scene or character. You know, once you see a project without all of that stuff, it's, uh, it it's a totally different thing. Oh, yeah. The, uh, you know, you watch Empire of Dreams, I think is the name of that documentary. The first cut, first couple cuts of episode four were absolute garbage. I don't think people realize the fine art that there is that you're talking about in the editing process. And watch all those making of yeah. documentaries for episode one, and you know the stuff that they you put it talked about the pod racers, and how many different uh, you know they uh, I think they took a muffler off a Corvette or some some other some other car, and you know that's how you got the sound you know for um, Sebulba's pod racer. 
and then all the editing it, it yeah the editing because you know you see in those documentaries how how much that changed the pacing of the movie definitely there's a, yeah. a perfect example of that sort of thing in in the original star wars uh during the death star trench and uh, you don't notice it, but when you go back and, and take a look at those scenes, it's, it's amazing. The Death Star Trench uh, starts out uh, with the X-Wings going in and doing their thing, and there's absolutely no music. There's only sound effects. They're going in. Um, there's the dialogue. And um, the second half of that Death Star Trench run the uh the music starts to swell and your that scene dramatically is taken to a whole nother level use the force Luke. now after you saw the movie uh, how many times did you see it do you remember yeah, I, I saw it a couple of times. I mean, I could not get enough of, of the Darth Maul, you know, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan fight. That was just phenomenal. lightsaber duels in the films where, where do you rank that duel I, I feel that Kenobi and Maul's battle at the end has been probably the best lightsaber battle to date yeah I, I would probably put it at the top of my list you know it's when Jedi were at their uh, peak and uh, you can totally tell the lightsaber battle was fast it was quick take a look at that lightsaber battle with one eye open and take a look at Darth Maul's moves by themselves and then go back and then take a look at Obi-Wan's moves by themselves and it is really a dance it's a very well choreographed dance obviously uh, behind the scenes but as kind of like a hand-to-hand combat situation it is it's I dare to say it's beautiful yeah you and I have to are gonna have to find more things that we disagree on uh, in Star Wars <laughs> that it that is absolutely and I'm I'm 100% with you I think of all the films that is the best from when that force field drops oh my god yes that and you know I don't know how many times I have just watched you know on YouTube you can get that I think it's only like 15 20 seconds maybe of that sequence right there. I don't know how many times I've just watched that because it yeah. is beautiful. And it uh, is. Uh, going back to Master and Apprentice, again, I'm going to put one more plug in for that book. That will mean even more to you after you read that book. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, and what, what Qui-Gon taught Obi-Wan about lightsaber combat. Uh, but, yeah, that's just, just beautiful. The and, uh, You mentioned the moment when the force field dropped. You, you saw... Obi-Wan kind of bouncing. That there's yeah. this little bounce that he had, like, like, all right, sucker, I'm gonna get you. And when that that force field dropped, he was he was right up in there. He went through the fort, you know, he went uh, through the threshold and um, started that fight. It was jaw dropping. It was really, it really was, and like I said, it's uh, you know, it was a beautiful thing to see because it was well choreographed. I want our, I really want our viewers to go back and and kind of take a look, and maybe you know, if you guys want to 
have a little fun with it and, and rate your uh, you know your best Darth uh, sorry your best um, lightsaber duels and rank them. You can go ahead and do that and then tag us. Uh, we'll we'll check it out and we'll see what uh, how you guys rank it. Yeah, the, I think one of the best parts about that uh, you know from both those actors, Ray Park was only supposed to be a uh, you know a, a stunt guy and he did so well that they cast him for Darth Maul. Ewan McGregor. They found out how dedicated he was. And of course, everybody, all the real Star Wars fans know that Obi-Wan already had family in the Star Wars universe. And mm-hmm. his uncle is Wedge, which is awesome. Yes, that's um, awesome. But, uh, you know, Ewan McGregor loved it so much and he caught on so quickly. Um, I forget the stunt coordinator's name. Uh, Nick, uh, but, uh, Nick Gillard. Nick, yes. Well, he, he was like, I, you know, I, I started training him and he just kept doing better and better. And so I just kept throwing more and more at him, and he kept doing it. And that's how we got the product that we got in Episode 1. Remember Star Wars Celebration 2, two or 3 in Indianapolis? Uh, my friend and I went there, and uh, we kind of had, um, I don't want to say we had drinks with him, but we had drinks at the same bar that wow. he was at, him and... Um, uh, Ray Parks was there with with them, and we were all kind of like group drinking, I guess, because it was the hotel across the street. Uh, really nice guy, and Ray Parks is a really nice guy too. I uh, he's a great like Star Wars fan ambassador. You know, he doesn't get mixed up in all the the BS, which is fantastic. You know, he's like uh, Ashley Eckstein, and uh, they're uh, really great Star Wars ambassadors for for fans. Yep, he is, and uh, they'll actually be featuring him in that uh, last season of Clone Wars. Yeah, which is really cool, and I like that they used him. You know, they combined him with Sam Witwer's voice in Solo. I thought that was pretty awesome. <laughs> Bring the ship and come to me on Dathomir, and you and I will then decide what to do about the traitor Beckett and his accomplices. We've got some Twitter questions. We got a couple from Shannon. Uh, you know, you mentioned her earlier in the podcast. Uh, she's got a couple questions. Let's hit one of them up right now. What Star Wars writers would you like to see write a screenplay for either a film or a TV show? She recommended Claudia Gray. What do you think? That Well, that would be fantastic. I think uh, the only thing is, um, you know, we talked a little bit about it uh, last, epi- last episode. I, I would be afraid that they would take turn it into kind of like a twilight thing and i wouldn't be too crazy about that she's a fantastic writer and uh it would be a very interesting uh movie or or tv series for star wars we got the trilogy coming up with the guys from game of thrones we don't know you know what's era that's going to be in but i think a couple options you know to help them with writing i like james lucino who wrote uh uh, the Darth Plagueis book. Did he also and, write um, the um, Obi Wan book? Rise, uh, no, that was. Uh, it'll come to me in a sec. Um, he did write another one. Uh, James Lucina, if you read the Bane trilogy, uh, Drew Carption uh, wrote the Bane trilogy. I think he would be really good. Matt Stover. Matt Stover was on that wrote the episode three, the episode three book when it came out. Oh, and, the, uh, yeah, the novelization, you know, the adaptation. And I think any of those, you know, if you couple their writing style with um, the style of the um, guys from Game of Thrones, I think that would make a really good product. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, uh, you know, 
I we were, talked a little bit before we started recording um, a little bit of Charles Soul. It would be interesting to have him oh, contribute. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about Charles Soul. He yeah, he's and because he writes comics and novels. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would that would be amazing as well. That would be an interesting contribution to the uh, to the lore. Lord Vader, the fleet has moved down to flight speed, and we're preparing to. Going back to the Phantom Menace, did you buy a lot of the merchandise when it came? You know, I did because, uh, and obviously, a lot of that merchandise was overproduced because we, ha- you know, uh, everybody wanted a piece of Star Wars. I was uh, there, midnight, Toys R Us. Uh, with the rest of the crowd, you know, rushing in and reaching in for whatever had the Star Wars logo on it. I bought, uh, you know, six Jar Jar Binks and 12 Darth Mauls, and I still got them, and they're still in packages. And, uh, yes, I'm one of those guys that doesn't... Uh, when I when I buy something, I'll buy at least two of everything because one to open and one to keep uh, in the box. But, um, yeah, I, I did buy a lot of stuff. Um and funny, uh, going back to my funny traveling to L.A. story, I remember going into a Taco Bell that evening, and the employee <laughs> had a, a Taco Bell Pepsi Episode One T-shirt, and I was trying my hardest to try to get her to sell it to me. I uh, even offered her $200 to go in the back, just put on another shirt and just give me the one that she had, and uh, what a trooper. She said no. Speaking of, in good honor, speaking of Taco Bell, I still have some of those cup toppers. Oh. The, you remember those? The, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The Anakin with his little uh, pod racing helmet on. Right, yeah. Uh, those were awesome. I see them at thrift stores all the time. <laughs> Silly Jedi. Silly Jedi. So another funny story about traveling to L.A., we had uh, a van full of uh, Star Trek fans uh, arrive at three in the morning um, and uh, heckle us in line, and uh, all in good fun. They uh, yelled out, uh, "Yoda was a puppet," and uh, kind of uh, heckled us for 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 waiting in line for for the Star Wars movie. But uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I don't know what all this trouble is about, but I'm sure it must be your fault. We have another question from one of our uh, another podcast. Uh, the folks at Kessel Run Weekly. Oh, cool. You can find them on Twitter at Kessel Run Weekly. And it's an episode one question. Do you think the death of Qui-Gon and Darth Maul's defeat at the hands of Obi-Wan were part of Palpatine's master plan? <laughs> I, I could be wrong, and uh, I want the, the folks on Twitter to tell me if, if they hear it as well. I have always thought, you know those little uh, probe droids that Maul had with him. Uh, yeah, little black, the, little uh-huh. black balls. Yeah, um, little floating things. I have always thought that when that one returned to Darth Maul, it said, "The boy is here." Hmm. The little, the way it's, you know, it's it's a little bit garbled because it's speaking droid speak. But I have always heard that as the boy is here or the boy is on this planet. Oh wow, I'll have to. Uh, and check it, that it out. had been. You know, it had been flying around. I think that was Moss Espa they were in, uh, not Moss Eisley. It had been floating around, and it's all them walking around. I always thought it said the boy is here. Oh, cool. So e- even if it didn't, you know, that's a little headcanon for me. Sure. That you know, that being said, I, I, I've, I think, just in a generally speaking, absolutely everything is part of Palpatine's master plan. Yeah, sure, I, I can see that. Left much for chance. Um, I think. 
um, the type of, uh, I think, you know, Maul was considered a marauder, a Sith marauder. Uh, you know, that's that's a short-term use kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I think he was already working on Dooku at this time because uh, Dooku had already left the Jedi Order by this time. So I think he was already working on Count Dooku, uh, who was back on Sereno. And, you know, Maul was just, you know, a means to an end in, in this case. So I, I think he fully used Maul, and this was... Obviously, we know that Anakin was part of his plan the entire time. So I think it it, it goes to show that, uh, you know, Qui-Gon dying and Maul dying, I think they were both part of his master plan as well. Do you rank your... Do you? I mean, it was a lot easier when there was either three or six films to (laughs) rank our favorites. Do you still do that? It's it's hard, and I think I've uh, I've tried to do it, and depending on... You know, depending on the the day of the week, it for me it kind of fluctuates. Uh, on YouTube, I was just watching a clip of The Empire Strikes Back when uh, right before Han gets frozen, and it's it's such such an amazing sequence that uh, that whole sequence where he gets frozen. There's so much you know dramatic weight to that scene, and uh, there's a lot riding on on that and. It's one of the reasons I love that film so much. Has your view of the Phantom Menace changed over the years? Has it moved up your your favorites at all, or has it pretty much stayed where it was? No, it it definitely has moved up. I think, uh, like I said, I have new appreciation for the the, for the Phantom Menace. It has slowly kind of creeped up into uh, the you know the uh, as I the upper echelons of my favorites. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I would say it it has changed. Did it did it break the top half for you? Uh, it's close, you know. In, in that midsection, yeah, that's yeah. It's 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 pretty close. I mean, you know, like you said, it was easier when there was only you know six films. Now we've got, you know, we're almost going to get nine plus the two spinoffs. So uh, over the years, it's definitely kind of creeped up. Yeah, and going back to our conversation at the beginning, when we criticize something, it's not a uh, you know Disney, you know Lucasfilm attack. Two out of the three of my top three favorites are Disney Star Wars films. Yeah, of uh, course. Return of the Jedi and, and, and then Rogue One and The Force Awakens. So, you know, anything we say is not an attack on Disney. It's just we call it like we see it. We're not uh, we're not Disney haters. I think whatever they do, the, the key is to have the same director on the an entire trilogy. So yeah. I think if Ryan Johnson gets an entire trilogy to himself, at least it will be have that one vision that you talked about. And it won't be Discon, you know, you know, disjointed between J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson. We'll have one vision throughout the whole thing. I'll be honest with you. You know, I, I'm not one of these crazy boycott dudes, but <gasps> I feel something. You feel it? Yes, I feel it. That's the force. Really? Wow, it must be really strong. Oh, I've never felt any. Ow! What if the trailer looks really, really good? Yeah, I you, guess you're gonna go see it because it's if it's Star Wars, you're gonna go see it. We'll uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, right. and we'll do an episode about it. Um, honestly, I'm I'm really looking forward to Star Wars TV more than Star Wars movies. I think what I saw at the Mandalorian panel, and knowing that Cassian is getting his own series as well, um, I think that excites me. It excites me a little bit more than than uh, you know wrapping up Episode Nine, and only because you know to me what I've seen and they it seems familiar to me. It seems. It seems like it's Star Wars. I think uh, having Dave Filoni and John Favreau kind of spearhead the, the this 
project really is going to to pay off in in many ways. I think we can both agree that both the Clone Wars and Rebels have more of a Star Wars feel to them than The Last Jedi did. And those were cartoons, so I think they're going to do some good stuff with the casting series. Speaking of cartoons, are you watching Resistance with uh, with your kids? Uh, no. <laughs> I want... <laughs> I, I watched uh, one or, you know, and I downloaded whatever that Disney app is just so I could watch it. Uh, but, you know, I watched one or two episodes and it, it was the same thing as we were discussing earlier with The Last Jedi. I just didn't, I don't know, I didn't have any attachment to any of those characters. Now, granted, I didn't give it time. Um, I, I know there's a lot of folks in the Twitterverse that really love those characters. There was a couple characters on there that I thought were kind of cool. Uh, but you know, I didn't. I don't think there's much juicy stuff because you know the the proverbial shit hits the fan in in the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Before that, there wasn't much for them to you know there wasn't much happening in, in the universe at that point. Right. Uh, so I think like they're kind of constrained with what they can put in there. I mean, they're talking about racing and stuff like that. It, you know, no, my, my kids would rather watch either the Clone Wars or Rebels or sure. the, or, or all the movies. Yeah, now that uh, season one has wrapped, um, it's kind of uh, paralleling the events of The Force Awakens. Now, one of the characters had, uh, one of the characters saw the, uh, the destruction of uh, Starkiller Base caused and uh, so those storylines in The Force Awakens are running concurrently with with uh, with the series now. It does get better. It is very kid-friendly, probably more so than the first season of Rebels. If you strip away a lot of the kiddie stuff, the, I, I do feel that there's some really interesting stuff in The Resistance. And now, you know, episode, or season two is, has been announced that uh, they're coming back, obviously, and my son and I are looking forward to, to more stories. They're the characters are getting a little better but yeah you definitely have to give it time because uh the first few episodes were like i said very 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 kid friendly and probably more so than anything that i've seen um as of late do you have any uh any final thoughts on the phantom menace 20 years later the phantom menace 20 years later has uh in my opinion uh aged well there's a lot of great stuff in the phantom menace uh, the, introdu- the introduction of uh, of Darth Maul as a character. I love more things about the Phantom Menace than than I that I hate or that I don't like. And we have to give credit where credit, you know, there was a time where it was cool, it was trendy to to bash on the Phantom Menace for some of the reasons that we already stated. But we have to think about all the best things in Star Wars that the Phantom Menace had. We already talked about the lightsaber battle between Obi-Wan and Darth Maul, the score with Duel of the Fates. I think visually, I've said this before on Twitter and I'll say it again, I think it is arguably the most beautiful Star Wars movie visually. And uh, I'll stand by that. So we have to think about how many things that, you know, despite its faults, how many of the best things in Star Wars that are contained in that movie? Yeah, that's a good point. I think we need to focus on that stuff, but we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, let us know on Twitter what you think about The Phantom Menace 20 years later. Uh, did you like it when it first came out? How has your opinion changed over the years? Um, does it have any of your favorite scenes, any of your favorite uh, soundtrack uh, songs in it? Uh, let us know on Twitter and uh, hit us up using those hashtags that we use all the time always sunny on scarif or that's the scuttlebutt and we will 
read some of your comments on the next episode. Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic. Let's do century. Let's do our little segment here. It's fun. It's a fun Q and A. It's called This is Century Mode. All right. So in Century Mode, Rose going to give me five questions, or at least I'll attempt the five questions. I'll have five seconds to answer the questions. Some of them will be opinion based. Some of them will be trivia based. If I don't answer in the five seconds, then he wins the round. If I win the round, as I think I probably will. Quite confident you are. I'll be up two to nothing, and I will have relentless bragging rights, which you will hear about on the show and on Twitter. So I am ready. This is Sentry Mode. Question number one. What were the ramifications of the Galactic Senate's short-sighted acceptance of facilitating trade route taxations, and how did those decisions affect the geopolitical structure of the mining guild's ability to self-finance the war machine of the Republic? Just kidding. Ain't that about it? <laughs> All I right. Mean, I mean, I could, but that's another whole podcast. <laughs> I need an hour for that one. And right, no right, right. My response to that. So here's the real number one. I'm going to take it easy on you. This You should be able to get this without even blinking an eye. Question number one. Complete this phrase. All terrain. Well, there's a few, but I'm going to go with armored transport. Excellent. You are correct. Question number two. What is your favorite Star Wars weapon that is not a lightsaber? Favorite Star Wars weapon that is not a lightsaber? Uh, I will have to go with the dark saber that is used on Star Wars Rebels. Okay. Uh, question number three. Name three types of stormtroopers. Uh, scout trooper. And then you have the death trooper. Uh, scout. And you have your normal stormtrooper. You have your the, sta- the beach troopers that we have on Scarif because it's always sunny on Scarif. <laughs> Uh, the snow trooper. Shall I go on? As I no, go? no, that's good. That's good. Okay, so number four. What is the best part of being posted to serve on Scarif? Well, besides it always being sunny on Scarif, you know, it's a secluded place. You know, the we don't get many visitors on Scarif. So when Director Krennic came by, that was really unexpected. But, uh, you know, it's it's a good duty station. It's quiet. And it's always and sunny on Scarif. It is always sunny on Scarif. Excellent. Number five, what famous Rocky Horror Picture Show actor played Senator Palpatine in Clone Wars episode The Wrong Jedi? Say that one more time for me. What famous Rocky Horror Picture Show actor played the part of Senator Palpatine in the Clone Wars episode The Wrong Jedi? Now that's the the episode with Ahsoka quitting the yeah, Jedi yeah, Order. Yeah, the greatest. Ooh, uh, and I got five seconds. Uh, Tim, what's his name? Yep, Tim, what's his name? As Tim, his mother, Tim. as his mother called him, Tim Curry. <laughs> Tim Curry. I was about to say Tim Robbins. I'm like, no, it's not Tim Robbins. This is Sentry Mode. I believe that means. Do, do I win? <laughs> I'm not sure if I can give you Tim What's-His-Name, but uh, if you want to, uh, you know, we can kind of both be at a tie at this point. We can both have bragging rights that we both Ooh. missed one. I'm not sure. Uh, However, I couldn't remember his last name. Fine, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Again, this is a fun little uh, Q&A that we have for each other, and uh, it's always fun to do research on this. Uh, like I said, I didn't, 
I wasn't uh, aware of Tim Curry being in uh, in that episode, and uh, he's a great actor on screen. Yeah, you know, uh, it's very rare that I learn something new about Star Wars. I mentioned that Shannon had one more question for us. Oh, excellent. You know, it's funny, uh, Shannon, I hope you feel better. I saw that last post that you did. You, uh, you said you were um, kind of getting over a little something. Uh, I hope you are feeling better. Keep those questions and keep those videos coming. Um, just stay healthy at the same time. And she wanted to know, how long do you think Luke will be in Episode 9? Let's see. How long will Luke be in Episode 9? What do you know about the Force? It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. You know, I had I had an I had a theory, um, and again, it has you know nothing to do with retconning or, or or whatever, but more to do really. There have been some rumors that a certain actor has been listed in the credits for uh, Episode Nine, and his character has already died. Um, I'm not talking about uh, Luke Skywalker, or Mark Hamill. Um, I am talking about uh, Harrison Ford, um, and when I heard that, I you know one of the things that uh, you know there's a shot of that one ship that's going kind of into the city. I think we talked yeah. a little bit about it. Like now that I see that, and now that I hear certain things, I feel like like you know maybe Mark Hamill or Luke Skywalker and Han Solo will have a scene together that's going to be almost like a flashback that uh, maybe explains a little bit as to why Rey was left on Jakku and why Han Solo felt that if that was going to happen, that he was going to give up the Millennium Falcon for when the time was right for Rey to be able to take it. You know, another theory also that I heard that I found very interesting, and you might find this interesting too with your military background, is this whole Manchurian candidate effect with Rey. Um, what do you... Uh, what do you think of that? Who said that she was a Manchurian candidate? I haven't like, I haven't, I haven't heard that one. I, uh, like, I like, what are you talking about like in relation to Palpatine? Well, it's in relation to either Palpatine or really hiding her, being able to hide her, and you know, obviously the clones were there. Palpatine yeah. switched, you know, Order sixty six, and all of a sudden, you know, they turned on the Jedi. What is to say that Ray is is not something similar, not to Palpatine, but to to uh, to Luke Skywalker. I think there might there's there's definitely something to it, and the reason I say that is because uh, the episode seven hints at it. Uh, the book for episode the adaptation makes even more mention of it, uh, where you know Kylo clearly knows, uh, unless they you know retcon this, Kylo clearly knows about the existence of some girl on Jakku. Yeah. So he wasn't, you know, when he says what girl, um, you know, he, that, that means something to him. Anything else? The two were accompanied by a girl. What girl? And then at the end, you know, this is not in the movie, however, it is in the novel, which is canon. Uh, he says something to the extent of, you know, it is you. And I think there is italicized words in there. It is you. So I think there there is definitely some indication that what you're saying might be true. Yeah, and it's interesting to me. Um, uh, I do kind of find it unfair that uh, they had to write a novelization to kind of explain 
a little yep. bit more of what happened in the film. Um, because, like I said, not a lot of people uh, read the extra stuff, and uh, it should, it like you said, it should supplement the story, not not uh, explain the story. A movie should be self-contained that way. But yeah, I find it. I find it very interesting. Um, the other thing too, the other clues that JJ kind of embedded uh, into the Force Awakens. There again, getting into editing, there is a few shots where JJ decides to stay on on uh, Han's reaction to Ray, you know, speaking to him, uh, probably a little longer than than is necessary. You can see that, you know, Han Solo, you know, either recognizes her or knows who she is, but she, but he's not saying. And obviously when Maz Kanata says, who's the girl? And, uh, you know, the camera kind of cuts away. There's, you know, there's obviously a conversation that happened uh, there off camera. We just, it's just that we didn't see it. So I find all that stuff kind of interesting. I, I, I'm hopeful that J.J. will get back to, uh, you know, back on course to, to kind of, you know, maybe help explain some of those kind of story arcs or, or feelings that some fans had. And, and some people are, for whatever reason, they, everybody has their own reasons, they are against Ray being a Skywalker. Um, but personally, this is me talking. I'm still holding to my original theory. I don't care what they said in episode eight i'm still sticking with ray's uh, kenobi skywalker everybody's you know you've probably seen all the articles all the comparisons between her and obi-wan uh how many similarities they had the fact that obi-wan speaks to her two or three times in that vision that she had yeah and uh just so everybody can i'll give you my my 10 seconds on how she's a kenobi skywalker in that uh, obi-wan and satine had a child a secret child that was a girl uh, happened to be around the same age as Luke Skywalker and he and said female uh, had a relationship and they had a child and that was Ray mm, making yeah. her a Kenobi Skywalker and I'm gonna stick to that until episode 9 proves me wrong and then you guys can all laugh at me in December when I'm way off well but yeah it's, that's my story I'm sticking to it. sure sure it's interesting and you know that again that's one of the reasons I'm uh, excited uh, I uh, about episode 9 I want to be able to kind of uh, wrap things up and really uh, you know throw doubt out the window and really have um, you know closure to to all this uh, it's it's I think that's a very valid um, uh, point something that I can totally see drawing storylines from the cartoons and rebels uh, I'm sorry it was a Clone Wars that's a great observation I want to remind you guys of another giveaway we're currently doing two giveaways by my account and this is the one that we've been uh, trying to do for a little while on Twitter since we uh, started this project we're trying to give away a Princess Leia prize pack uh, it's worth about $60. Uh, there's three things that are in it. Uh, one is a collection of some of the Star Wars uh, comics uh, from uh, the run uh, a couple years back. One is the Forces of Destiny Leia issue that came out with an alternate cover, which is really great. And also the uh, Heroes of the Rebellion comic that came out just a little while ago with an alternate cover. Uh, we wanted to give those away as a prize pack. is worth a big, about $60, as I said. Uh, find that tweet uh, on our page. It's not uh, that hard to find. 
and uh, just there's a couple things you have to do. It takes about 10 seconds to do it. And then uh, once we hit 300 followers, we're going to uh, randomly pick a winner for that one and we'll announce it on the show. So please check that out. You know, we're, we're going to be giving uh, away a, a lot of things. I think uh, it's a fantastic way to keep in touch with our fans and our listeners. I, I don't know. Do we have fans? We have fans, right? We, we have people that uh, like the podcast. We, you know, I, I mean, you guys you guys can let us know what you're called. What it was the, <laughs> what is a, what is a follower of Scarif, uh Scuttlebutt called? You guys won, won a prize for the best answer. That being said, we also did just sort of a Patreon account. If you guys are familiar with Patreon, you know, there's different tiers that a lot of different projects use. We're not going to do any of that. We're going to keep it simple. We only set up one tier, and it's just $3 a month. That's less than a Starbucks coffee or... I think even a Happy Meal these days. But with that $3 a month, you can help support our podcast and all these different giveaways we're doing. If you do that, $3 a month, you'll get access to our Facebook page, the Discord server that I had to figure out how to set up just for you guys, as well as some uh, patron-only bonus content. And then with that, uh, once we get a few of those uh, patrons, we'll do patron-only monthly giveaways, and you'll automatically be entered in those giveaways uh, contests. So please check that out if you uh, want to become a patron of the Scarab Scuttlebutt. And you can find that information at patreon.com forward slash Scarab Scuttlebutt. In addition to posting our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, we are also on YouTube. The link is on our Twitter page. We have had some subscribers already, so thank you guys for that have already subscribed to our channel. Uh, we did also have a couple of comments uh, real quick. I wanted to read those. Palpatine's uh, Star Wars page. Uh, whole episode is great. He especially loved the shout out that we gave him an hour and 37 minutes and 59 seconds into it. Uh, that was very specific. Uh, he called that the best part. Uh, you're welcome for that shout out. And here's another shout out. You're awesome. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much for your support. And also, Victor, amazing job, guys. Can't wait to hear your next episode. Well, here it is, and we hope you enjoy it. So please check out our YouTube channel and subscribe. We post the podcast on there, and of course, you guys know that I'm on uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2 nearly every second I can get. I post some videos from that as well on there, and hopefully soon we'll get some other content on there too. Like you said last time, Brad, we can sit here and talk about Star Wars for hours on end. Thank you, Brad, again for offering... Uh, some great insight on uh, Star Wars Episode One and our little uh, controversial uh, first part, Akbar Gate. Like I said, it's uh, it's always fantastic and it's always fun talking Star Wars with you. But just remember, guys, it's always sunny on Scarif, and that's the Scuttlebutt. <laughs> you have been listening to the Imperial Fancast Network. That's no moon. You may fire when ready. I've got a bad feeling about this. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. You must unlearn what you have learned. You felt a great disturbance in the Force. I suggest a new strategy, Art. You underestimate the power of the dark side. 